Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or website for ways to give. Man, everybody's doing such a good job these days, aren't they? From the worship to that, to our, our missionaries, man, it's just so wonderful. Can we just give another round of applause? You guys doing great? Thankful for you. I do want to highlight something, the YWAM Boston team. This is kind of, uh, you're hearing about this last minute, but you do not want to miss this. Um, next weekend is going to be such a powerful weekend where we're going to be trained by uh, the, our YWAM friends from Boston, Massachusetts. And uh, they're going to be coming and we're going to be actually getting outside the walls of the church and going and sharing Jesus with people in the streets. And YWAM is going to be training us on how to do that. And so, man, we need this, guys. We need to get uh, really uncomfortable and we need to start going to people And I think that there's going to be some great breakthrough. If you're interested in being a host home for some of these people, let us know at the Connection Center or even just providing some meals. There's there's close to 40 of them coming. So uh, we as a church, we need to host uh, our friends really well. You guys good with that? All right. Um, I I want to be honest with you, too. This morning, I wasn't going to say this. I was just going to kind of blow past it. But I just got to be honest. Um, Last week, as I stood here, I really, really struggled. If you weren't here last week, don't go back and watch it. Okay, please. Um, In fact, I would pay you not to. Uh, But uh, it it was one of those things where it was like a, a speaker's worst fear, where your mind just goes blank. I don't know if it went blank because of, uh, you know, uh, demonic attack or whatever, but it went blank and I literally did not know what to say. And you got, and I did that right in front of not only you guys who are my friends and a lot of you reached out. My son actually uh, compassionately uh, said when he saw me at home, he goes, are you sick or something? So, uh, um, and uh, you know, I was just embarrassed and just, oh man, it was, it was so rough. Uh, but, uh, and I'm blessed by his heart. But uh, anyway, it was, uh, it was one of those things that this week, I was scared to death to get back in this spot. I, I, I remember when uh, I was a little kid and my mom had a horse and we were riding a horse and I fell off the back. I remember we were about a mile away from home and I didn't want to get back on the horse. And my mom made me as like an eight-year-old or 10-year-old kid. She made me get back on the horse. She said, fear cannot win. You have to teach the horse a lesson here. And so this morning, I just want to let you know, uh, you know, I've, been, I've spoken thousands of messages, uh, but, uh, you know, even my mind can go blank. I'm not superhuman here. All right. And I just feel like I just want to teach the enemy a lesson that he can mess with me, but I'm getting back on the horse. Amen. So I, I, I want to, I also just want to share that for some of you. I feel like some of you, like the enemy loves to, like, I love being attacked when it comes to my, to my speaking, because my speaking is part of my calling. And it just reminds me that the enemy is, is scared of me at my best. All right. And I just want to remind you guys here today that, uh, that, if you've been attacked in an area, maybe there's an area of fear, maybe there's an area of anger, maybe there's an area for you. There was a dream in your heart once, a God dream that he gave you, but you had a bad experience with it. You never got back on the horse. I just want to exhort you today, get back on the, on the horse. Teach the enemy that he cannot mess with you. Your sons and daughters, that we've got the cross, guys. We've got the Holy Spirit. And uh, I just want to encourage you and exhort you and implore you, get back on the horse, walk in your calling. Don't get comfortable with, with a, a second rate living. Amen. So, uh, so let's just pray this right now. Heavenly Father, I just cry out uh, to you today that you would do something in our hearts today, that, that you, would, you would empower us, grace us, God, to climb back into your heart for each one of our lives. 
And so we just give that to you. And now as we open your word and as we deal with it, and, and man, this is a challenging passage, God, uh, that we're looking at today. I just pray, Lord, that we would not feel the, the judgment of the world, that we would not feel the judgment of the enemy who just wants to try to make us feel bad enough. Uh, but I just pray that we would feel compelled by your heart, Father, to walk in your best for us. And so we just ask, Lord, that your, your word would feed us today, that you'd step on our toes, but we'd walk out of here full of hope because of Jesus. And so we just give our lives to you. We give our hearts to you this day. And we ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, guys, I, I want to discuss what Jesus says about marriage, and this is the Sunday where we're going to get to divorce. I know the enemy doesn't want me talking about this today. I know that many of us are here today, and you've been divorced. Some of you once, some of you twice, some, uh, some of you more times than you can count. I know that a lot of shame gets carried around by people who are divorced. My, my parents are divorced. I watched this with my own eyes as a fourth grader. I remember when my mom took us to a trailer park, me and my brother, and she shared the news with us that they're getting divorced and we're leaving. Philip cried. Philip thought, you know, we were being put up for adoption. He didn't understand. He still, he still thinks he's adopted, you know. So, uh, but I was like, no, no. Uh, but uh, I just kind of hid in a closet for a while and tried to process. Uh, but uh, I know how it is. And then you just carry it around like the rest of your life. It's like a, a part of your story that you can't, you can't seem to escape. And that is not the future that God has for you if you have been divorced. And I'm not speaking shame here. I just want to tell you right off the start, I'm not sh speaking shame to you and speaking hope to you. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that since this was a painful topic that we no longer address or that we hide from it. We have to look at what scripture says about it. And then we have to see what Jesus says despite maybe some of the ways that we walked in this. All right. So as Matthew 19 is where we're going today, starting with verse 1, going down to verse 9. But as we go there, I, I want, I, I'm like the king of recap during this series because this series is building. And I've been taking about 10 minutes out of the beginning of most of my messages to recap because this is, this is not just something we, we just kind of pull out and, uh, and, and just, you know, that can stand on its own. This is, these are truths and concepts that the Spirit of God has woven all throughout Scripture, and we have to build. We're not, this isn't like five steps to a good marriage. You cannot have a good marriage in five easy steps. There is nothing, can I get an amen from this in advance? There is absolutely nothing easy about marriage. All right, so I get it. I get it that 54% of marriages end in divorce. I, I, we, listen, we understand how that can happen, but we have to build a good foundation. So when the wind and the waves of the world come and when the enemy does his best, we can say, I've got a rock to stand on named Jesus. I know what he has built here in my heart and my home. So we're going slowly. We're building a biblical foundation. And we started this series, this Kingdom Family series, out in the book of Ephesians. We were looking at what Paul says about marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 to 33. It's not going to be on the screen. But what Paul is doing is he's taking a passage of Scripture. He's, he's going back to the original design of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And, uh, and he's using that as, as his foundation. But he's, he's, I wanted us to start there because I want us to see on this side of the cross... On, the, on the, the death, burial, resurrection side of the cross, I want us to see what marriage is ultimately about. And listen, your marriage is, is on the enemy's radar, not because you're so awesome, but because your marriage has the capacity, like nothing else on the face of the planet, to show the kind of relationship that God wants with people. All right? So your marriage is ultimately about Jesus. We saw that in Ephesians. We said that marriage is a covenant union. 
This is massive, <laughs> massive. We, we hate covenant. We love contract. Covenant doesn't seem just. When someone's not living up to their end of the bargain, we like a contract that you just say, hey, you're not living up, I'm out. We out. But a covenant doesn't say that. Do you know what? Do you know what? That, that God doesn't make contracts with his people. He makes covenant with his people. When we're faithless, God's faithful. When, when we were enemies with God, he came running in love. This is what covenant is. And we're saying that marriage is a covenant union. It's not a contract. We also said this out of Ephesians, that marriage is starting a new family. So listen to this. If you've got kids who get married, listen, the 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 parents, you are now extended family. You don't have authority to tell your married kids what to do anymore. They've started a new family. You have, you have the ability to bless them and send them cash, send them checks, Venmo them, what, help them, buy them a house. All right? Yeah, come on. Uh, wouldn't that be great, right? You, you can bless them. They're always going to need you as, as a resource, as, as, as a trusted friend and a trusted voice, as someone who's been down the road decades more. They're always going to need you and have a good relationship you, with you, and you need to have, guard that relationship. But they've started in a new family, and there's a new authority structure. Now, I've been saying this too. That doesn't happen when you just move in with somebody outside of covenant. If, you, if, if you've got to live in where you're acting married, but you're, you actually haven't made a covenant with them, listen, you, and you can't say, you know, we don't need a piece of paper to, you know, tell us that, you know, we're in love. That's true. But you do need a covenant before God to be married, you see. And as the room gets quiet, right? <laughs> so listen, listen, you're, you're starting a new family when you have before God walked into covenant, a man with a woman, a woman with a man, before God, not when you've just moved in with somebody to play married, all right? Now, we also said this, the context, this is all recap, but we have to do it, because some of you are acting like, man, I've never heard this before, I've been coming here for weeks, well, listen up, this is good. The context, this is my favorite one, the context for sex is covenant, the context for sex is not love. How many times of a pastor, as a pastor, have I sat down with wonderful, fiery-eyed, awesome, potential-filled young people that try to convince me that they're having sex outside of marriage because they're in love? And I always smile at them. I say, man, you all have so much potential. You all are great. Um, what's your point? Because I think you think you made a point, but as I open the scriptures, it doesn't hold up. The context for sex is covenant, and we're going to do Sex Sunday here, uh, Sex and Church Sunday, all right? Coming up in a few weeks, all right? And you're going to want to come, and you're going to want to bring friends. You're going to sweat a lot. I'm warning you, all right? Uh, but, uh, but we have to talk about it, and it is coming up here in just a few weeks. We'll, we'll let you know when, but we're going to dig deeper into that. But I want to, for the sake, we, we can't talk about marriage and not talk about the sexual union. It is very, very important to God. And, uh, but the context for sex is covenant, not love. Covenant, not love, all right? And then we, all, we said that marriage is ultimately about Jesus. And then we looked at, uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at the original design of marriage. Do you know that marriage wasn't designed by humans? Marriage was designed by God. 
all right? It maybe looks different. Some of the ceremonies and stuff look different according to cultures, but the original function, the original heartbeat, and the original dream of marriage, it didn't come from a human being. It came from God himself, and he laid it out in the midst. He wove it into creation, and marriage was the first human relationship that God put on the earth, all right? That the importance of it is insurmountable, all right? So important, and we looked at it a few weeks ago, Genesis chapter one and two, and we, we basically said this. It, it, you don't need to go back and listen. Just hear this, that family and relationships, marriage, have a designer. You don't get to decide what yours looks like on your own. Your goal is not to operate in self-discovery and figure out what marriage and family and relationships are to you. You do you is not a biblical concept. The goal is not for you to self-discover and you figure out what family is to you and you interpret what relationships are to you. The goal, listen, is to partner with the designer being God. All right? He tells us how it works well and we shouldn't blame him when we do it outside of his heart, outside of his word, and then when there's a mess in our wake, we say, God, why'd you let this happen? He didn't. You did and we need to get our hearts in alignment with his, all right? Last week, what I was trying to say is, is when we're seeking our spouse, which is the second most important decision that you will ever make right after following Jesus, all right? So it's, it's giving your everything to Jesus and making him the Lord and the Savior and the treasure of your life, your whole world, following him relentlessly and recklessly all of your days, through faith. That is your, that's number one. Number two is who you're going to marry if you do get married. All right. It's better to not be married than to marry the wrong person. I didn't say that because I couldn't think. All right. It's the second most important decision. And what I, what I was saying last week is the number one priority that you need to look for when you're choosing a spouse to do the rest of your life with are the kind of person they are. Not do we have the same interest, not do I think they're cute, not do they, you know, do, do we both like dogs, all right? If they like cats, that is going to be, that is going to be something you're going to want to pay attention to, all right? <laughs> if they like to shoot cats on the other side, now that's good, okay, no, anyway, the, uh, um, boy, I was trying to stay away from things like that, but uh, the, uh, the cats are great. I love them. The big ones, the tigers, I love them. Uh, but uh, anyway, I've just been, it, I'm speaking out of pain. I've been petting kitty cats. They're so sweet and they're purring. Next thing, they're latched onto my arm. I'm like, what kind of demonic activity is this? All right, come on now. And you guys know what I'm talking about. There's something wrong in that feline world, and you know it. So don't get on me. But our culture, here's what it does. Our culture elevates and centers everything to, listen to this, to the kind of person we're attracted to. Our culture says, what kind of person are you sexually attracted to? And that is supposed to trump everything. Everything is supposed to bow to our sexual attractions. That's not what the Bible says. That is not what the scriptures say. That is not from the heart of God. That God who made sexual attraction did not make it first. And when you're looking for the, your spouse that you're going to do life with, it's, it's so amazing that so many of us, we don't, we don't ask the, the question when we're looking for our spouse, does this person have a similar calling, a similar heartbeat? Are we going to be better for the kingdom together? 
We just say, oh, I'm not into brunettes. Oh, no, like, so no, they're not into. This is, guys, this, this, it is going crazy, and it's no wonder that our culture is like it is. The church needs to stand up and say, listen, beauty will fade, but a heart will grow. A beautiful heart will grow. And an 80-year-old person with a beautiful heart for God is going to be more attractive in a kingdom sense. And we've got it. You're just immature if you don't see that. All right? Just thinking like a teen. All right? I'm not trying to knock teens. I'm just saying teenagers, listen to people who have gone before you. And I promise, I promise that the heart matters most. It's the kind of person that we're attracted to. In the kingdom, do you know what's hot? Heart. You know, you know what's very, very hot in the kingdom? It's kindness. Woo! Smoke is actually smoking hot. Do you know what's the hottest of all? Humility. Humble people. Humble people in a kingdom sense. Uh, someone's calling. Very, very steamy in the kingdom. Very steamy, all right, in the kingdom. And, and I think that we, we talk, and, and it's, it's humorous, but it's just, if, if you just went there with your heart and trusted that the kind of person, same calling, infatuated with Jesus, kind, humble, man, that person uh, makes a, a much steamier marriage than just someone with quick attraction easy on the eyes, all right? It's like our brains today are being wired to not be attracted to a person who serves and is being wired to be attracted to a person who selfies. So the kind of person that is so obsessed with themselves, they have to take 100 pictures of themselves and share it every day. It's more attractive than the person who behind the scenes says, can I help you with that? Oh yeah, right this way. You know, Take my seat. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. This is what I was trying to say last week. I just couldn't think, all right? Yeah. yeah. Up your Satan. You know, anyway, come on. So, yes. So, but uh, I, I do it. Looks are important. They're just not the priority. All right? They're important. They're good. You got, got to watch. Just not the priority. So, here we are, Matthew chapter 19 today. I want to talk about what Jesus says about marriage. And this is the first time that we really get to a passage uh, uh, where, where the scriptures handle the topic of divorce. Okay, here's what it says. I'm going to read the first six verses here. Um, and here we go. It's verse number one, Matthew 19. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Man, honestly, I think I could preach a series on that one verse. Verse two, large crowds followed him and he healed them there. It's massive. So let me just give you this little free bit of info, all right? That we have to develop a, uh, an understanding, a biblical understanding of philosophy that is not just that small is better, all right? Small is important, it's a part of the pie. But Jesus constantly was operating in the context of large crowds. And if you don't have large crowds and the small crowd that you're discipling, you have no one to display what ministry looks like to them. You can talk about it all you want, but there has to be large crowds where you show them this is what you do. This is how you see people. This is how you heal. And so we, we keep emphasizing that if there's a crowd, you know, God, God wants to run from it. God, God, this is, we got to read the scriptures. Jesus was constantly constantly 
operating in the context of large crowds. I'll say this too. Large crowds were seeking him out. So being the kind of person and being the kind of ministry. Wait, have you ever heard of this, of this saying that if a kid really blows it, you don't want to be the kind of father, the kind of mother, or let's just say father because I'm one. You don't want to be the kind of father where your kids think, oh, my word, my, I, I can't tell dad he's going to kill me. I, I don't want to be that. And I, I want to be the kind of dad like this. When my kids really blow it and stuff, they do something crazy and they, they need help, they say, man, I've got to call dad. And they're, they're, we've got to get back in the church the understanding that, that when broken people who have ruined their lives walk in here, they don't get the vibe that, man, I can't tell these people who I really am. That we have, to, we have to be so full of the grace of God and the love of God and the heart of God that people are like, these are the people that can help me. I just believe that this is, this is the large crowd ministry of Jesus. And that's, that's, it's in this context that this question comes out from the Pharisees who are constantly chasing Jesus around trying to discredit him. Look at verse 3 here. It says, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him. That, that was their heartbeat. That was, the, that was the motivating factor here. I'm going to test Jesus. I'm going to try to make him look bad by showing everybody that, you know, I'm going to skip ahead here, that Jesus doesn't care about the law of Moses, which everybody valued as higher than God. All right? So, so they says, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him. That's tested Jesus by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause. Look at verse 4. And he answered, that's Jesus answered. Man, and look what he does. He goes back to the he goes back to Genesis 1 and 2, guys. He doesn't shoot from the hip and say, "Well, he goes back to if, if if it's important to Jesus, can it be important to us, please?" Right? <clears throat> look at verse 4. He answered, "Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. We, we've, we've read that. And then he goes on to say, though, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That's how he answers. I just want to stop right there, and I want to talk about what Jesus says about marriage. Not, I was going to say, here's what Jesus says about divorce, but really what Jesus is doing is he's taking kind of a negative question that's set up to, to try to discredit him, and he's using it as an opportunity to teach people about the heartbeat of God and the original design for marriage and relationships. And so I don't want to talk about what Jesus says about divorce first. I want to say what Jesus says about marriage first. And here's what, here's what Jesus says about marriage, that God originally designed marriage. So the dream in God's heart, his original design was to be a permanent relationship. The original dream in God's heart, his original design was to be a permanent relationship. You see this in, the, in the, the last part. He says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate so God's saying, no, this is, I've joined them together. You can't separate them. You cannot separate what I have joined. You're not that strong. You're not that great. All right? So God originally designed marriage to be a permanent re relationship. Jesus is referring to the same passage that Paul has been referring to in Ephesians chapter 5. It's of note. It's super packed. It's super full of, of rich truth. And he's also using the, the same passage that we looked, looked at in Genesis chapter 2 that refers to God's original design. So Jesus is, is using scripture. It's interesting. These guys who care about the law, really what they care about is controlling their own life. And so Jesus uses the Bible, the Pentateuch, 
all right, that Moses authored under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to answer these guys' question. It's the, the irony is wonderful. And he answers their question by using scripture that Moses penned. And it says, no, no, what God has joined together, you can't separate. What was going on here is, uh, is that the, the Pharisees were, um, were asking, I'm going to get to this at the next point, but this is how I end my wedding ceremonies. And a, a marriage union, after I say stuff like, uh, you know, according to the great, you know, state of Pennsylvania and I, what's invested in me and blah, 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 blah. That's not the good stuff. The really good stuff is I now pronounce you under God, husband and wife. And then I say what God has joined together, let no man separate. It's because a marriage union is supernatural in, in nature. It's not paperwork in nature. Uh, a marriage union, uh, the, the state has way less authority over a marriage union than God does, all right? This is why I, I do, I, I counted a joint of privilege to do wedding ceremonies for non-believers, all right? And uh, because, here's why, thanks for asking, um, the, uh, be, because even marriage in general no matter what you believe, marriage in general is holy before God. So I get to walk a couple who doesn't know God into the presence of God and have them experience a supernatural union inviting God into it, all right? So marriage is, 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 a, is a supernatural holy union despite what the people believe. Did I lose you? Yes, I did. Okay, so we joined together. We're joined together in a, in a supernatural way, and God designed to be a permanent relationship. So let's, let's, uh, let's get to the next thing that Jesus says about marriage, though, and this is delving into divorce. Let's read verse 7. They said to him, this is the Pharisees saying to Jesus, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? So here's what Jesus is saying about this. I'm going to jump to the end, then I'm going to show you how I got there. Is Jesus is prohibiting divorce for trivial reasons. Listen to this, guys. He's prohibiting divorce for trivial reasons. What the Pharisees are doing here is they're trying to paint Jesus as an opponent to the law of Moses. And Moses did command people in Deuteronomy 24. Moses did not command people, but Moses did say, or he did allow people to get divorced by giving a certificate. What was happening in a culture that was male dominant and prevalent is that women were being treated like animals. And that they were getting married, and then men, if they didn't like how they cooked, send them away for no reason. Send them back home, all right? Moses came in and said, you can't do that. You at least have to give her a reason why. You have to do a certificate. But you didn't have to go to the attorney to get this certificate. You could just write one up on your own. And that, that is what the, the kind of culture that these Pharisees and the, and the Jewish people lived in. Guys, listen, this is it's craziness. I can write on a piece of paper why I no longer love you and want to be married. I can give that to you, stamp it, seal it from me, get you out of my life and start over. And Jesus is saying, These are, this is not the kind of relationship that my father dreamt in his heart when he did the first marriage ceremony in the garden. This is not the dream here. This is not, this has nothing to do with my heart. Women were being tossed aside, devalued. And actually, if you read the Bible at all, Jesus hates that. Women are not subservient to men. Women are not second rate. 
women are just as good in, 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 uh, in, in the eyes of God and valued just as highly in the kingdom as men. And there's this thing that, is, that, is, that started back here but has lingered that we've got to get out of the church. We really do. And, I, and I, we'll get more into that as, as I talk about what biblical masculinity is. But the culture in this day was built around a law that gave permission to men to divorce their wives for any reason whatsoever. Burnt toast, uh, you know, being grumpy, getting out the wrong side of the bed in the morning. Um, any reason whatsoever a man had the power to divorce his wife, as long as you provided a certificate of divorce, anyone could get divorced. And what Jesus is saying is that this system is flawed. It, is not, it does not represent my father, it does not represent me, and it does not represent the kingdom. It does not match up with the original design here. That's what Jesus is saying. This is not what covenant-keeping love looks like. To just say, ah, I don't like you anymore. Get out of my life. Jesus is, is going for the heartbeat of God, not the culture of the world in this magnificent moment. He says, Moses' regulations on divorce were not a part of God's original design. And he gets to the real reason Moses allowed this. And let's look at this in verse 8. And he said to them, well, let me read verse 7 again. They said to him, why then did Moses command one? to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Here's how Jesus responds to that. He said to them, here's why. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. He's going back to the beginning and he's, not, and he's saying, you're trying to call me out because you're trying to tell me that I don't believe in the law of God where you're the one misrepresenting the law of God to begin with. The real problem here is not my interpretation of the law. The real problem is the kind of heart that, that would send your wife away and feel happy about it. The real problem here is the kind of heart that would actually, instead of fighting for biblical marriage, covenant-keeping love, the real problem here is the kind of heart that wants to fight for the control to be able to have this as an option. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's saying this system is flawed, You've left the design. It's, it's, now, it's now turned into something other than what it actually is. It's not what covenant-keeping uh, love looks like. And Moses' regulations on, on divorce were because of your hardness of heart. The real issue is your hardness of hearts. Your hearts were hard. Guys, listen. Listen, if your heart is going to be hard and bitter, if you're holding on to things in unforgiveness, if you're constantly holding stuff over your spouse's head, there's no wonder that your marriage is holding on by a thread. It is a heart thing in so many cases. It's a heart thing in so many cases. And we want to we wanna talk about the, the nuances. We want to talk about the, oh, what if? But the, the, the real thing is your heart matters. If it's hard, your marriage is not going to work. And you can fight for control or you can fight for a kingdom family. Which one do you want? Your heart is the issue. We see this throughout scripture that when Israel moved into the promised land and they started checking out all the nations around them and they, they noticed that the nations around them had kings, they cried out and said, we want a king. We want to be like the nations. We want a king. And God says, no, here's, here's my design. Here's my heart is that I want to be your king. I don't want you to be like the nations who have kings. I, I, I want to be your king. How King Jesus 
but don't you want me? And they say, here's what they actually said. No, we don't want you. We want to be like them. And so God allows them, this is the same kind of thing here. God allows them to have what they want. He, this is not the crusades where he's forcing them to heartlessly do it his way. He's like, okay, fine. You want an earthly king? Fine. You, don't, you, you want to reject me? Okay. So God allowed them to walk in there. That's what hardness of heart is. Like, we don't want you. We want something other than you. Our heart is hard towards you. We, we want to be in control of our own lives. And that is what's happening here in a similar fashion. So sending away your wife when it gets rough or disappointing is not the dream in God's heart for marriage. But I do know it's more complex and complicated than that. I do know that there's people here that, that have tried to work things out, that have tried to lay down your lives, that have tried to forgive, and it just doesn't seem to be working. Even though, even though working things out and committing to marriage as the long haul is the dream in your heart, I've never talked to a couple at the altar who dreamt of being married for three years and then divorcing one another. I've it's, this, is, this is something that creeps in, but I'm saying the pathway that it creeps in with the greatest access is hard-heartedness, where you want something then other than God, and you want to control your own destiny and do it your way. Now, I want to talk about when divorce is permitted according to Jesus. I do want to say this. That what I'm about to say is, is I'm not saying that divorce is commanded in any context. I'm not saying that, uh, that divorce is required by God in any context. I'm saying that there are a few instances where it is permissible but never required. It's important to say it that way. All right? And here's the first one. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Now, the word for adultery here is porneia. Um, it is the word where we get pornography, and it's a very broad word, and Jesus used it specifically, not randomly. All right? Uh, there's there's a, a lot of implications on this word, but Jesus says with his, with his own mouth right here, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. I think, I think the, uh, what I want to pull out of this is there are some things that actually do break the covenant. And this would be one of them according to Jesus. Now, I would say this, that the cross is bigger than an adulterous affair. And in a room this size, there's got to be at least three people in here in the, in the midst of an adulterous affair. And probably what you're, you're opting to do is try to hide it from your spouse and just try, and that is not going to work. It's going to kill you from the inside out. What, what, what brings life and freedom in the kingdom is when you bring your sin to the light, renounce it, repent of it, and then work on this together. And the cross is bigger. And I've seen in so many situations where there have been affairs, but the couple courageously in faith, in a faith-filled way, invited God into the, into, to deal with all the sin and the reasons why and all the hurt and all the pain, all the bitterness, and they found where their heart was hard and God healed them and now their marriage is better, you see. I know that God can do this. This is not a mandate if my, if my spouse has an affair, you know, Kick him to the curb. Kick her to the curb. Get out of my life. This is not a mandate. I actually believe, do you know that, do you know that, that when, when we sin, the best definition of sin is not missing the mark, like I tried but I didn't hit the target. The best definition of sin is preferring anything other than or over than God. It's a hard thing, guys. That's, it's, I, I want this, not you, all right? And, and in the kingdom, sin is really more like spiritual adultery than anything else. And here God keeps taking us back. 
No, you wanted, you wanted them. You wanted that lifestyle. God, I'm so sorry. Come on back, son. Come on back, daughter. That is how God operates. So I'm not putting a doomsday message on your marriage that, or, or your situation that you're struggling with and, or whatever you're in right now. What I'm saying is whatever you're in right now is not bigger than the cross of Christ. And that there can be hope for your marriage. But I, I, in some circumstances, Jesus says, you know, it is, it is acceptable in, in this case, but it's not a mandate. I hope you can hear me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I have to venture out just for a moment back to one of Paul's epistles to the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church culturally, culturally was a lot like uh, America, all right? And, and so Paul was having to address a lot of issues, and he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. It's not going to be on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. I'm jumping right into his line of thought. You're going to have to trust me here. Study it for yourself. But it says, he says this. He's talking about marriage and divorce in the church. He says, if the unbelieving partner, so he's talking about a marriage where maybe, uh, maybe the wife comes to know Jesus, but the husband is not a believer, or vice versa, all right? The husband comes to know Jesus, the wife is not a believer. He says, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so, all right? Or that can be translated, let them go. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. Now, that, that word enslaved is interesting because really what it's referring to, in my opinion, is they're not enslaved to try to reconcile with someone who doesn't even know Jesus and left them to, to begin with, all right? And they're, they're, not, they're not enslaved uh, to, uh, to living married even though their partner has left, all right? So I really believe that in this type of case, when the unbelieving partner leaves, the, the believing partner that remains is, uh, that has been a covenant, covenant breach and break, and the believing partner who remains is free to marry another believer. I know a lot of people are going to boo me off the stage on that. This is, this is what I believe the word is saying. Now, here's one thing that the, the Bible doesn't specifically speak on, but I, I feel like I need to speak on it right now and just kind of share from a pastor's heart and just kind of let you into one of my, uh, one of my views on, on a divorce here. I want to talk about abuse for a moment. And I just want to say this, that abuse is not okay with God in any way. Sexual, physical, emotional, or anything old. It's not okay with God. And I've actually done too much time in um, denominational streams where when there's, let's say, a woman is being physically abused by a husband, where the leadership in, this, in these denominational streams actually say, well, keep submitting to your husband and just basically let him keep hitting on you. Let him keep beating you up. Keep your kids in that environment too. I've seen this, guys, like I'm telling you, like we're concerned that, you know, I'm going crazy here by saying there's a few chances <laughs> or a few ways that a marriage can, can break. You know, we're, we're nervous about that, but for some reason we're not nervous about putting a, a wife and her children un, under, the, under the, you know, the torture of an abuser. So I, I, believe, that, I believe that abuse is a violation of the marriage covenant. And I do not believe that a, a woman or children, or sometimes it's vice versa, but I do not, usually it's, it's a very angry man who's not being a man, and he's so ashamed that he's not, that he has to take it out on the people who love him the most. And, and I know this firsthand. My, my, uh, my mom was married to a, a farmer who knocked her teeth out, and uh, she woke up one morning with no teeth. I, I've seen him, I saw him pin uh, my mom to the wall by her neck. 
all right? And it was so strong and so powerful that my little brother and I were about, you know, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, 10, somewhere around there. We, we were just, we watched him wrestle wild Mustangs to the ground and sit on them. We weren't, we didn't know what to do as kids. But I, you can't tell me for a second, yeah, you know what? Keep submitting to that nonsense. I just say, I just want to call a theological foul on that play. I think there's so many times we, we encourage people that if, if, there's, if there's a violation of a contract, I would say it's this. Now, I know that God can get to that man and change his life. and Maybe there can be a restoration, but I am never as a pastor going to tell you to keep being beat up for Jesus. All right. Now, I, I do want to wrap things up with this for a moment because we, we see when divorce is permitted, in, in my opinion, it, it is an adulterous affair. It is the unbelieving spouse leaves. And, it, and also, then, in my opinion, this is, just, this is pastoral. It is situations of, of vulgar abuse. But I also want to say about this, it's interesting that as I was reading this passage, when Jesus hangs everything that the Pharisees are saying on hardness of heart. I didn't want to stop talking without, without referring to this for a moment. I want to talk about, because I really believe this is a, a key to marriage here in general. Hardness of heart. How do our hearts get hard? I want to tell you that when, when God designed marriage originally, the, the original marriage was in the context of perfection. You know this? Before sin entered the world, we have the first marriage, and we can see that. And it looks wonderful, but there's no sin. There's no, and, and here, here's what is also, this is not only that there's no sin, but there's also right relationship with God. So the, the re relational order here is Adam walks in the garden with, with Jesus every day in the cool of the day. So you get that relationship where Jesus is my first thing. Then, then God comes along and he gives the woe man to the man, taken out of the man, says, hey, this thing is going to be good, but it's not good without me. You too now have to walk with me in the cool of the day. This, I'm not making you for marriage. I'm creating marriage. So, so in marriage, you all can keep walking with me. But at the fall, as sin entered the world, sin was basically us giving God the finger, us saying, we don't want you to be our king. Our, we hardened our hearts about, uh, toward God, and we say, we can do this on our own. Now that is the, is the cursed context that the world operates now in, uh, in general. You tracking with me? All right. So what, what happens here is once after the fall, after we're out of relationship with God as our treasure, marriage becomes the hope for our empty hearts. You hear this? And now you listen to love songs throughout the ages and you listen to people searching for their everything, searching for their soulmate, searching for their lo the love of their life and standing at altars and putting on another human being what we were created to put on God. This then is the, a fantastic recipe for hardness of heart and disappointment and heartbreak, but it was not the original design the, the, when the, so many people are like, I feel this, this void in my heart. I'm not happy. I don't have, what I really need is I, I really need to get married. I really need them. And then you, you take what's, what's second best or what was never created to carry the, the weight that only God can, the, the treasure part of your heart. We can treasure people like a verb, like they're treasured in my life. But to be, I'm talking about the treasure of your heart, the one who has the power and the ability to 
satisfy you to your toes. Only God can fulfill that part. And if you put a wife or a husband in God's place and you neglect the design in this triangular relationship and you just go after your wife or husband, why aren't you meeting my needs? Why aren't you meeting my needs? Why aren't you meeting my needs? The, uh, the spouse can rightly say, because I can't. I wasn't made to meet, I was made to help you. Not meet all your needs. I was, I was made to do life with you and run side by side with you and to rule the world together with you. I was made to, to take dominion over, over the plants and the animals and the world together as co-regents under God, but I wasn't made to be the treasure of your existence. And someone that doesn't know this, that is outside of a right relationship with God, they're just wondering, like, why do I want to divorce this person? Well, they're not meeting your needs because you were looking for God and you didn't know it. I'm just wondering here this morning, how many of you, 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 have, you have unjustly and unrightly, with bad theology, you put your spouse in the place that God should be. And you've neglected your relationship with him. And your heart has gotten hard. And you just can't seem to get it right, no matter how many books with flowers on it you read. When you speak, seek a spouse as your treasure rather than your helper the disappointment of that will harden your heart. So this morning, I really felt the last thing I, I typed, like I just, you know, on Sunday mornings, I just look at my notes and I say, Jesus, do you have anything left? Holy Spirit, what are you feeling for these people I'm going to be talking to? I really felt like God dropped this in my heart. Invite the people, not mandate, not shame. Invite the people to return to God as their treasure. That's good theology. You know, that is actually the heartbeat of our salvation. We're not using God as a tool to get to heaven. Heaven being what we really want. Uh, reuniting with friends and family and loved ones and spouses in heaven, having a mansion, streets of golds, and Jesus is the tool to get there. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that we see Jesus of greater worth and value than anything else, and we want him, and he takes us back by giving us his righteousness when our righteousness didn't work. He comes after us like a, like a, a good dad should. Or in this context, though, a loving and faithful spouse should, coming and forgiving us and wanting us though we've hurt them, being faithful to us though we've been unfaithful to them. This is kingdom relationship here. And I'm just wondering, so many of us here, you've, Jesus is nothing more than a tool to you. And the actuality of your heart is you're angry at your spouse for not being God. That's a recipe for a horrible marriage. And you're going to hurt yourself and your kids and your family if you don't take your spouse out of God's place and you actually begin to cultivate and grow in a beautiful, glorious relationship with the one your heart was made for and your heart wasn't made for a person on this earth. Your soulmate has never existed on this earth outside of Jesus. He's your soulmate. You're, when you get married, you're not finding your soulmate. It's bad theology, bad doctrine. It, it, it feels nice, but it is partnering with a, a cultural lie that the person that you're staying at the altar with, the person that you're doing life with, you know, that they're going to satisfy you and, and meet your needs in, in a way that nobody else can. And that is the lie, and that is the doorway to a hard heart in your marriage. Jesus has to be the treasure, and your spouse is the helper, you see. 
and you all run after Jesus together. Come on, church. This is what we need, is it not? <laughs> this is what we need. Boy, how do we respond to this one? Just ask the Holy Spirit. He told me to say, hey, return to God as treasure. Ask him right now, how do you want me to respond? I just think some of us just need to say, Jesus, I, don't, I, I, I put you as a tool down, and I, I receive you as the treasure of my life, the Lord of my life. I just see you as better. We just sang about this so much. I think, think that's why our hearts were wrecked, because when we sing about Jesus being the one that's higher and better than everything else, man, that's what we were made for. And so just receive Jesus right now through faith as, as not only the, the forgiver of your sins, but the treasure of your soul. Oh. Jesus, that you're my joy, you're my life. And just tell him you are better than everything. You're better than my marriage. You're better than my husband, my wife, my kids, my friends. You're better than my job. You're better than money. You're better than my dreams. Oh, God, if you're not in my dreams, I don't want them. Amen. Come on, just get honest. Get sloppy with him for a second. So God, just pray that right now, people receiving you as their treasure, putting you in the place where you belong. And now, God, we just repent of putting people in your place. And, God, we want to see people not as, as, as objects that we use, but people that we love and that we partner with and we help each other out and we run into the future, the glorious future that you have for us. So, God, come and do this right now in heart. Save people, mend marriages, break bitter hearts now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, I think some of you here, you need marriage help. And you need prayer today. Don't leave without getting prayer. Some of you need to go get your kids. Bring your kids. Set your kids down. Let them watch you be prayed for. All right, so get them in. Let them watch you be prayed for. But you shouldn't leave today without getting prayer if your marriage is in jeopardy or if it's hurting. And just let, let people love on you. And listen, you leaving here feeling the love of the Father is going to be the best day of your life. It's going to be the great way to start the week. Amen? Listen, your marriage matters. It is so, so important. It is not, uh, it, there is massive hope for you. And if you've been divorced, listen, there's, there's a new day for you. And the love and the forgiveness of God works in, in your situation as well. Don't seek it out, but don't struggle with shame over it. God's got you, I promise you. Amen? Amen, guys. Blessings. Come to the front now for prayer. Let's just, let's just go after God a little bit. And the rest of you, if you need to go, it's time to go for you. Just go with the love of God, not the shame of the enemy on your heart and your life. God bless these people immensely in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.